Well, there is a tradition that Kislev is a month of dreams. Uh, there's a tradition based on versions of an ancient book called the Sefer Yetzirah that this is the month of dreaming, and of course it's the month when the darkness is increasing, so it's a good time for sleeping, and that means it's a good time for dreaming. Welcome to Purple Honey, a gathering of female voices where we explore the sweet spot between Jewish wisdom and feminine spirituality. I am your host, Jody Bayless. It is dark outside, so dark, in fact, that as that beautiful moon that I was admiring outside the window tonight, it was so full, it will soon be waiting. And as the moon is waning and the earth is shifting to the farthest point from the sun, we will soon be in the darkest day of the year, solstice. It is almost as if the outside world is saying to us, lights out, go to sleep. In this time, in the Jewish cycle, our attention shifts to dreams. We are in a place where the Torah, our core text, is heavily focused on dreaming. And so I wanted to explore dreams, being also that Kislev is the month of dreaming. I wanted to understand and, and tap into how might we view our dreams as a way into a deeper relationship with ourselves and as a way into a deeper relationship and connection to earth and with our communities. So today I'm in conversation with Rabbi Jill Hammer. Rabbi Jill Hammer, PhD, is an author, teacher, midrashist, mystic, poet, essayist, and priestess. She is committed to an earth-based and wildly mythic view of the world in which nature, ritual, and story connect us to the body of the cosmos and to ourselves. Rabbi Hammer is the Director of Spiritual Education at the Academy for Jewish Religion, a pluralistic rabbinical and cantorial seminary in Yonkers, New York. Rabbi Hammer is also the co-founder of the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute, a program in spiritual leadership for Jewish women. As a leader of the Kohenet Institute, she creates and teaches earth-based embodied ritual and study that transforms Jewish conceptions of prayer and, and ceremony. Rabbi Hammer is also the author of five books, including Sisters at Sinai, New Tales of Biblical Women, The Omer Calendar of Biblical Women, the Book of Earth and Other Mysteries, and The Hebrew Priestess. Rabbi Hammer also has written an unpublished book titled Elemental Dreaming, and her forthcoming book is called The Magic, Meditation, and Mystery of Sefer Yetzirah. I really enjoyed this rich conversation with Rabbi Hammer, and I hope you do as well. Here is our conversation. I would love to open up our conversation about dreams, actually in sharing a dream with one another, if you're okay with that. Um, and I first wanted to share a dream uh, of mine with you about this conversation, actually um, leading up to our conversation. You know, I, I, I think the, the simple, because my mindset was on dreams, um, 
dreams have just been flowing for me personally. And so one that I had maybe, I don't know, it was in the past five days, um, was we were sitting and having a conversation about dreams. And then I looked down into this very narrow pocket that was the pocket of Kislev, hmm. pocket of the heart, where we are in this moment of time on the calendar season and in, in the season. And you know how in dreams that, you know, you, you might be watching something, you might be experiencing something, there might be something slow, there might be something fast. And then there's, there's an experience where you're, you feel like you're, you're being told something that feels truth, like it is. Mm-hmm. And so what it, what I um, heard, what was, you know, it's hard to bring words to that truth, but um, it felt like it was saying to me, when you're having this conversation, you know, sit deeply in the season. Mm. Sit deeply in Kislev. And um, while, you know, there's many areas where I think our conversation could go and will go, I, uh, I'm finding that grounding of the season in, in talking with you about dreams. Mm, beautiful. In asking you about a dream, uh, about your dreams, um, there was an article you wrote that in which you shared, dreams invite us to understand ourselves as part of the ecological whole. Mm. And then you go on to state, I have developed a reverence for the ways dreams manifest our oneness with the cosmos. And I'm curious, is there a dream in your dream life that felt like it, it brought wholeness to you? It brought, um, it brought you, you know, a healing that you are part of a larger whole. Hmm. There really is. In fact, that's what I look for in, in all of my dreams, although that, you know, only comes in a full way once in a while. Um, I'm thinking of two dreams. The first one's really brief and more recent, uh, where I dreamed that I put my hand into the earth and I saw that the, the earth and my hand were connected. Like there was earth coming out of my hand as if it had originated inside me. And that was a really amazing dream. This, uh, you know, this sense of being one with the earth that in the dream I was actually seeing something that's true, right, but that we can't really see on a macro level, right, which is that we're really all part of the planet. Um, but in a dream, sometimes we can see that in a more direct way, and our dream uses uh, images to tell us about things that are true. And so mm-hmm. sometimes when I or other dreamers dream about Oh, like being flooded by water is a common one that people have where they're, uh, you know, there's a big wave and it's going to hit them and it's scary and then the wave hits them and everything is fine. You know, and, 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 you know, they're okay and sometimes they're even exhilarated. And that kind of dream also for me is about, you know, the larger cosmos is so scary to be part of something that big and we want to stay separate. And, but when we actually let go and become part of that, immensity, then we, uh, you know, then we realize that, you know, that's who we are, you know, that's perfectly safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's exciting and real. 
not always safe, but it's exciting and true. Mm. And the other dream I wanted to, to share um, is one that I had when I was a teenager, and mm. it stayed with me ever since. Um, it, it was a very important dream moment for me. Mm. And in the dream, I'm walking over a bridge. I can't see the river or ravine that is over, but I'm walking over a bridge, and I come to this low building. Um, there's another smaller low building next to it, and I go into this smaller building, and there are, like, dragons living there. Hmm. And for whatever reason in the dream, it seems perfectly clear to me that what I'm supposed to do is ride one of the dragons. And so I get onto this dragon. Mm. And the dragon flies. Um, and it flies into the low building, you know, through a window. And so I'm thinking, you know, whoa, how is this building going to contain this great animal? Um, but it turns out that the building extends a very big depth below the ground. So it's actually a very large space uh, that we've gone into. And we're flying over this immense garden. And I realize that I can actually direct this beast of flying with my mind, and I can, I can tell where it goes. I can see all of these amazing things. Mm. I begin to look at the different parts of the garden and how beautiful it is. And then I begin to realize that I'm dreaming. Mm. And I have like a sinking feeling because I, I know that this means that I'm going to wake up. And I don't want to wake up. And mm. so, I'm, so, you know, I'm telling myself, don't wake up, don't wake up. And, of course, I did wake up. Um, but there's just this amazing feeling of seeing the variety of the garden. You know, every piece of it is different. Every piece of it is beautiful. And it really struck me later as an image of the cosmos. You know, as a image of, you know, the human love affair with the beauty of the world. And that, you know, this, you know, giant creature that I was flying, you know, in some ways was the, the animating power of this world and wanted to show me how beautiful it is. Oh, that is so beautiful. It, um... And there's so many things that bubble up there for me. Um, you know, one actually is when you sh just the, when you shared the realization in the dream that you were dreaming, first yeah. of all. And, you know, I, um, have, you, have you have you learned about like lucid dreaming? Yes. Um, and some people really seek that out as a dream experience. Mm. I don't seek it out because it does tend to make me wake up. Mm. I have had an Um but I'll, I'll tell you a story that, that is kind of like a lucid dream. Lucid dreaming is, you know, when you when you know you're dreaming, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, when you're able to direct the dream because you know you're dreaming. And that's happened to me on occasion. But the thing that has um, that has happened that's actually been even more interesting for me is that sometimes I learn from previous dreams. And in the dream, I don't mm -hmm. know that I'm dreaming, but I do remember all of this information from previous dreams. Um, so I had one experience where. Um, my daughter was very, very young, and I had reacted to, you know, sort of her vulnerability by having a lot of dreams of her drowning. Um, and they were very, very disturbing dreams. And you know, she would basically fall into a lake or a puddle and sort of disappear, and I would be unable to find her. You know, and I had a dream work at the time who said, well, this is you looking for your soul. And, and you know, that interpretation was okay, but didn't really work for me because it really was... Uh, it really felt like it was in some way about, you know, about my relationship to her. And at mm. one point I had a dream mm. where 
we were walking on a path, and she fell into a puddle, and I thought, oh, it's happening again. And then I remembered in my dream the other dreams, and I said, oh, I know what to do about this. And I went under the water, which I had never done before, and she was right there, and I found her, and I brought her up. And after that, I never had the dream again. Wow. And that, it, was, wow. it was like I was working on this problem in my dream, and then I figured out what to do about it. And what to do about it was actually to go to the place that was frightening and, you know, to go into the deep. And what, what feeling did that, did that bring a feeling of completion or healing for you when you, when you went into that second dream? Huh. It brought for me a feeling of kind of empowerment. Mm. I can, you know, I can operate in this dream world. And also just a sense of um, having, like, having cracked the code. You mm. know, dreams tend to present you with the same problem over and over again. Um, and, you know, ideally, you're, you're working on that problem with the dream, and then eventually you want to solve it. Uh, this Actually, this experience happened to me previously when I was a teenager, and I used to dream about scary dreams about snakes. Mm. This is uncommon. And I would have these dreams, and they were very disturbing. And, and uh, of course, you know, the snake is a sacred symbol of the feminine, but I didn't really know that then. I just knew that they were scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at a certain point, an angelic figure named uh, Gabriel came to me in a dream and gave me a sword and, say, okay, and said, okay, you're, you're going to kill the snake. And this giant snake came, and I killed the snake, and, and I never had another snake dream for many years. Mm. So there was... Some, mm-hmm. some something about you know, life and adolescence and uh, you know Bhakti had been working its, its way out and you know and this was the you know was the healing of that. And you know, Jill, I've been really thinking about this in the sense that like we're in this moment of time where you know just there we're globally collectively as humans we are becoming more woke to these really deep wounds. And I feel like what that, what one of the things that that's bringing is our, an evolved understanding of what healing could be, and so it feels like dreams are in that in line with this as well. That there's something dreams are present in our lives every day, and then the more we can direct our attention to them. And weave the pieces, as you have explained in some of these dreams, that, that there's a continuation, um, that there's a language through symbols and um, there's scenarios that over time that we might be able to um, find this resolution or, or, he- or healing in our dreams. Yes, Absolutely. Um, in fact, I, I want to share a couple of dreams, not mine, but dreams from dreamers that I've worked with and spoken to, um, that very much deal with this question of global healing coming mm. through individuals in their dreams. This is one of the kinds of dreams that I like to work with. And I'll give one example. Um, I was, I heard once a very beautiful dream, um, about a woman who uh, was near a pond and the salmon had returned to this pond 
And at a certain point, she dives into the pond and she goes down and she's, um, she touches the earth and then she realizes that she can't move around. And the reason she can't move around is that she has a heavy computer strapped to her back. Mm. And when she is able to free herself from this machine, you know, then she's able to kind of rise through the water. And what struck me, there are two things that strike me about this dream. The one thing is the idea of the return of the salmon, right? That the, the salmon knows its way home. It just knows. It doesn't have to be told. And so that she's finding in this place the salmon are returning home, right, that's a signal for her and for us, right, that we have to follow our instincts to, to know our way home. And the second thing in the dream, right, is that there is this sense, you know, and, and without kind of overly knocking technology, you know, there there is this sense mm. that um, when you are too plugged in to virtual reality, right, it's harder to... Um, to tap into, you know, the reality that is the natural world. And mm. the dream, you know, says this in very, very direct language. And I actually don't like to use the language of symbol um, because it doesn't symbolize to me. It's it's quite direct, you know, it's really communicating. Like, you got to take off that computer. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then you'll be able to find your way home. Uh, so that's the, so, so that is uh, one of the kind of dreams that, speaks to me in terms of healing. The, another dream that I want to mention is, you know, there is a whole um, phenomenon of people dreaming about flooding now, right, dreaming about global warming and, and you mm. know, the oceans mm. rising. Mm. And some of the dreams are very scary, you know, like people walking along beside the lakes and seeing that there are buildings under the lake, you know, or um, in one dream that someone shared with me, a polar bear came and, you know, basically said, you're killing us, you know, what are you going to do about it? Um, there was mm. one thing that really moved me in which a woman saw that the flooding was occurring and then went under the water and saw that there were like mermaids down there, that people had kind of grown gills and were able to live under the water. Mm. And that struck me also, not only as a kind of as a fantasy, but as a dream about adaptation. Mm. We can't always um, we can't always stop what's happening, but we can adapt to it. Um, and there's you know there, as you know there's a big conversation about adaptation now and how we're going to adapt to the changes that are coming. So those kinds of dreams I think are really powerful. Um, I want to share one more. Mm-hmm. Which, this one is so simple and beautiful. Um, another dream in which uh, someone was watching loggers cut down the trees. And, you know, seeing the stumps of the dead trees. It was a very sad dream and a scary dream. You know, these were big, scary, loud machines cutting down these beautiful trees. And she began to cry. And she noticed that as her tears were falling on the ground, there were little shoots coming up where her tears had touched. And I was so touched by that. Mm. You know, there's something about are learning how to feel again and how to relate to and care about other creatures that is part of the healing for the world. Um, uh, there's two directions I would love to go, but one, you know, just hearing, thank you for sharing these dreams and, you know, in just the hearing of them, it, it feels just, I feel I'm having visceral, visceral reactions. And it feels like, um, and I, I will kind of jump to to the idea of of dream sharing 
and having a community of dreaming um, is is a practice that I understand that you um, that you yeah. practice and you're going to actually in next spring going to be um, leading um, a course called dream work as a spiritual practice and dream sharing is part of that um, through the um, Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute, which you co-founded. Um, you, um, as a, a group of women who are, you know, steeped in, in text and innovative ritual and, and, you know, really creating this, you know, evolving, um, connecting to the lineage of, of feminine um, spiritual leadership. And as, you know, in today, today's world, you also all share dreams together. And it just feels healing um, to do this. So um, could you actually share a little bit about dream circles? Sure. Um, dream circles happen in a variety of ways. There are a variety of traditions around them. And the point of a dream circle really is to share your dreams with the community and the underlying understanding of a dream circle is that when you dream, you don't only dream for yourself. That your dreams have the potential to heal and enlighten other people. And also they have the underlying assumption that you can't actually fully understand your own dream without help. Mm. And most of the time, not always, sometimes it's very clear, but most of the time, you know, there will be aspects of your dream that are hard for you to understand. And the need then is for you to hear other versions of, so other understandings, other interpretations of your dream. And sometimes that will reveal something that was hidden from you. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. Because for two reasons, you know, first because uh, it's always helpful to bring another mind, you know, to a or another heart to a particular image. And also because dreams sometimes tell us things that are hard to hear, and we may not really see them you know, until someone else points them out. So a dream circle, essentially, we use the phrase, um, in my dream of this dream, uh, in the Kohenet dream circle, based on the tradition that I learned from Teishir, who she learned from others, um, that uh, all of us offer sort of a dream of the dream. It's not the interpretation, but it's an interpretation. Mm -hmm. And this is also in line with the ancient Talmudic idea of dreaming, uh, where uh, the Talmud says many things about dreams, but one of the things that it says is that there were 24 dream interpreters to Jerusalem, and I went to all of them, and all of the interpretations came true. <laughs> so it's very um, mm. deep in Jewish tradition that just as a, a sacred text can have many meanings, a dream can have many meanings. I, I'm visualizing like a passage of Talmud with all of the commentaries around it. And it's like a similar, right? Like a similar frame of you have your dream with all of the interpretations around it. Yes. You, you dream exactly the way you read Torah, like with lots of different midrashim, lots of different uh, creative interpretations of the dream. So I love that. It's a wonderful community practice. First of all, because so many amazing healing images come out of it. Um, also because 
you you know someone differently when you know how they dream. Mm. Like there's an intimacy that's created between people when they share dreams and community together. Mm. And sometimes mm-hmm. even you have sacred practices that arise out of dreams. You know that some image comes out of a dream that mm. really speaks to us as a community. You know, and then that image plays it, itself out in the waking world. It really feels like there's a synchronicity in that, like, as you shared, the the dreamer herself receives multiple perspectives that may, you know, deepen the insights into the dream. And those that are hearing the dream may also, you know, it, it, the dream itself may be medicine, uh, you know, a version of medicine for for the, the hear the listener of, what, of right. the dream. Mm. Right. And one more thing mm. I want to say, this dream is practice. Um, the history, less of dream circles, but more of dream interpretations, is that women who didn't always have access to the interpretation of sacred text had access to the interpretation of dreams. And if you look at uh, stories from 16th century Sfat, which was um, the city was Sfat, um, uh, which was a profound hotbed of Jewish mysticism, and we have a lot of texts from men who lived in that time period in that city, but we don't have texts from women. But what we do have is the diary entries of a particular sage named Chaim Vital, who went to women to interpret his dreams. And also women brought him their dreams and shared them with him. And so in his diary, he records like all of these visionary women who were doing dream work and thought in the, in the 16th century. Um, and it, it's... It's absolutely amazing, and you can see that for them, you know, dreams were a big piece of their revelatory practice. Mm. So it feels like that, you know, dreams, women had a role, played a role in... um, they were, there was inclusivity. Dreams was the dream... The dream space was the inclusive space for women at the time. That's beautiful, and you know, and speaking to this um, this lineage um, in our feminine spiritual practice, which you are you and Taya are really have really illuminated um, this path, um, kind of back through history, and 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 have created this momentum through the Kohanet Hebrew Priestess Institute. Um, where women can move forward as spiritual leaders. Um, and you, in your framework, have created 13 archetypes um, of female archetypes through which are the, the cords, the connections to this, this female line, this lineage. And one of them um, is, I believe it's the prophetess, is, the, is connected to dreaming? Yes. Uh, so, when we began to really work with these 13 pathways of Hebrew priestessing, you know, we were essentially looking at Jewish history through a different lens and saying, where are the models for how women and other marginalized people did spiritual leadership? Rather than, rather than adopting, you know, the dominant model, which was developed, you know, by men in a male-dominated society, you know, sort of this model of you know, the the rabbi, you know, which has grown and changed over the centuries. Like, what if we look at how women actually did spiritual work and use that as our basis and our lineage? 
Um, and so we developed these 13 pathways, um, both to notice that sacred, that the sacred is multiple, right? It, it, there isn't only one way to do holy work. Um, and also just to honor all of these different ways, like, you know, the wise woman, the maiden, the seeker, the fool, uh, the, uh, you know, the shrine keeper, uh, who, um, you know, who bring their various gifts, uh, to this lineage. And when we were working with the, uh, what we call the Nativals, the pathways, we had a question about whether dreams went with the prophetess, the Nevia, or the, uh, Balad Og, who was like the spirit vessel or the Shabbat. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. because it really could have been both, and in many ways it is both. You know, and in the end, uh, we put dreams with the prophetess because dreaming is associated with prophecy um, in the Bible. Um, and before there is Torah, before there is sacred text, there are dreams um, that people guide their lives by, like in the story of Jacob and the ladder and Joseph and the, you know, and the sheaves of wheat. So that was why, in the end, uh, dreaming went with the prophetess. Mm. And look in some of these uh, sort of texts about women, you know, that describe women's dreams, sometimes they will be called prophetesses or visionaries. Mm. So just to clarify, so I'm I'm just understand talking to understand, but so that the, the prophetess is the the um the prophetess connects to dreams. Um yeah. well, the prophetess mm. connects to all forms of uh, visioning, right? Mm -hmm. All forms of visioning, mm -hmm. particularly visioning for the future. Uh, so the prophetess mm -hmm. is connected to social justice, but we also connect the prophetess to the drum and chant, uh, and the, uh, you know, the creation of, of music that puts people into, uh, sacred, uh, trance. Um, and we also connect the prophet to social justice. You know, many of the social justice workers of the last couple of centuries, you know, there are lots of Jewish women in that line. Uh, and they're sometimes called prophetesses by their contemporaries. Um, so uh, there's there's a lot of aspects of the prophet, um, and one of them perhaps is dreaming. And, of course, the the balat, oh, the, the shamaness, the spirit vessel who sort of channels the larger forces of nature and the ancestors are, can also have the gift of dreaming. Yes. Um, and what I'm hearing you say is that, I mean, you know, I keep, I keep wanting for, for those listening to, for dreaming to feel accessible, you know, and it feels like to me, as you were describing, um, Pro, the prophetess as a visionary where, you know, we are in that moment of time that we're almost, at, we're being asked to be a prophetess, right? <laughs> where the earth is asking us in this climate crisis. And, um, you know, we're asked to imagine what this world could be like and and to live at, live that out. I was going into this with a question, the question that I think you, you really delineated nicely through um through um, the the prophetess, by delineating prophetess and the shamaness, um, uh, because my question was, um, what, you know, what is the connection between dreaming and between journeying? Yeah. And um, yes, <laughs> it's a wonderful question, and one I get asked um, a lot. And for some people, the, the answer to that question is there isn't a difference. Like one of my teachers, uh, Dr. Catherine Shainberg, who teaches in 
you know, a long line of uh, Kabbalistic dream practice that was passed through women. Uh, for her, right, the dream world and the world of waking vision are the same, right? We're always dreaming. Uh, and whether we're dreaming awake or whether we're dreaming asleep, right, we're always presenting ourselves with images that we can then learn from and um, steer our lives by. I see it a little bit differently than that and that I think there is a lot of overlap between the kind of you know, waking vision that one can have on a spirit journey or in a guided meditation, you know, and the images that we have in dreams. But I tend to trust my dreams a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that I know that, at least for myself, and maybe this isn't true of a, you know, a, a shamanic practitioner who's, you know, very deep in their, you know, in, a, in that practice from, from their youth, but for me as a Western person, you know, who, uh, you know, who has a critical, you know, who, who was, tra- you know, who has a, a critical mind that interferes with my, you know, spirit vision. Uh, I know that, you know, my spirit journeys have some element in which I am guiding them, right, in which my imagination is kind of leading, right, even mm-hmm. if there are also, you know, powerful images that are occurring to me that come from the larger universe. But in my dream, I am fairly confident that I'm not going to lie to myself, right, mm-hmm. because... Dreams occur without our, our volition. And so I, mm-hmm. I have the incentive to sort of trust those even more than I do my waking journeys because, uh, because of the truth factor. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I've, I've, um, you're also um, a writer of Midrash. And, um, one way I've come to understand some of your your writing, you know, that very steeped in sacred text and also um, full of spiritual imagination, um, there felt it felt to me that there was this connection of of dr- almost like of of journeying, dreaming with writing midrash. And I was curious if if you if there was a connection for you. Bet- oh, absolutely. Yeah. For me, the connection between writing writing Midrash is um, is very similar. It's like dreaming into a text, right? Mm. So you have a sacred story, and then you look at the details of that sacred story, and you're also looking in your own heart for where those details are resonating. Right? And then somewhere in the gap between those things right, comes this imaginative interpretation. And this is very similar to what the sages of, of old did. They would also offer interpretations that were partly about what they saw in the text, but partly about what they saw in themselves in response to the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that really is a form of visioning, of kind of waking dreaming, uh, when we are sort of allowing a text to sort of flow through us and uh, spark ideas or reactions, or you know, some interesting come out of a sense of the wonder of the text, and sometimes Midrashim come out of a reactivity to the text, right? I hate this text, you know, like what mm-hmm. else could mm-hmm. uh, So uh, for me, it's definitely uh, related to the imaginative faculty. Uh, it was happening to me at one point in my life that I would sometimes dream Midrashim. Like I would dream about a biblical text, um, and, you know, and there would be, a, uh, you know, some twist on it in my dream, and that was kind of amazing. <laughs> mm. um, and uh, so there is that, um, you know, mm. 
connection with actual dreams sometimes. And in fact, the Talmud says when you wake up from a dream, you should try to associate it with a biblical text. Um, mm. Some powerful practice about seeing the Torah in your dreams and your dreams mm. in the Torah. Well, it's so interesting because, you know, you shared at the beginning of our, of our conversation about this dream of a dragon and going down underneath where there was this large space and a garden. And I, th I think it was in, maybe it was in the Hebrew priestess, you also shared a dream where there was this sort of like going under and then there was a large space within and yeah. that feeling really resonates with me. And then it emerged, I, I one of my favorite um, of your midrashim are, is Miriam under the mountain? Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, right, and Miriam, instead of going on top of the mountain like Moses, goes under the mountain, right? And her revelation happens in the cave under the mountain. Uh, yes, and it, it's really true. I mean, in that way, you know, the images from my dreams uh, come out in everything I write, my poetry and my stories. I dream a lot about underground space. You know, that is a thing that occurs to me over and over again. It's clearly a kind of life theme that occurs in my dreams. Uh, once when I was in Jerusalem uh, for the year as part of my rabbinical training, I dreamed this amazing dream that still resonates with me, where the temple in Jerusalem was still standing, and I went to see it. And there was a level of the temple that had weapons, and then there was a level of the temple that had stuffed animals. <laughs> and then under that there was this network of underground caverns and when I went into the underground caverns and began exploring them they went deeper and deeper until there were rivers and then down the rivers then there was like volcanic lava and, and there was a, there were channels of, of lava that reached into the heart of the earth mm. That dream really speaks to levels of meaning and levels of being, right? That we create these sacred places, right? And sometimes we use them for violence, and sometimes we use them to comfort ourselves. Mm. You know, and, and underneath that, you know, is this deep core connection, you know, to what's real, you know, to what you know, to what creation is all about, mm. and that our dreams can actually guide us. Know, down to that place, and mm. so for me, you know, the underground labyrinth is a very core dream image, and so it, of course it ended up in my stories as well. So much of what you've shared about your dreams of there's there's the underground, there's the earth, there's water, there's flesh. Could you share a little bit about your focus on the elements in understanding and connecting to our dreams? Mm. Uh, so, for me, the practice of paying attention to the four elements, you know, as rhythms in my life, is a deep practice, and it arose partly out of experiencing uh, teachings about the four elements in multiple faith traditions, including indigenous traditions, and partly out of my uh, research into Jewish traditions around the four elements. Um, like Kabbalistic traditions in which the four elements are a manifestation of the four worlds of body, heart, mind, and spirit. Uh, so it's a, it's a deep piece of my practice. So when I began to think about what I would want to share as my own style of doing dream work, uh, I began to look at the ways that dreams manifest the elements. 
And this really came out of a conversation with a dream worker in which he really wanted me to focus on the people in the dream and what they were doing and saying. And my sense was that the people in the dream were not that important, and it was the, Mm. quote, inanimate things in the dream that were really important. Mm. That, Mm. you know, the earth in the dream, the houses and the trees, like those were the things that really mattered. And so I wanted to look at, when we look at um, the what I call the elemental characters in the dream, mm-hmm. right, who can actually be people, but often like who can be bears or who can be rivers, uh, they're often saying something very powerful to us. For example, I collected a whole bunch of bear dreams, you know, from people who don't encounter bears very often, you know, but who were dreaming about encounters with bears, you know, often under the earth. Um, or I collected a whole bunch of dreams where people were in a house, but the water is trying to get in. And so they're dealing with the fear and also the desire for you know, the water to come in. Um, there's one particular dream uh, for me that kind of encapsulates what is important about looking at the elemental characters in a dream, where I'm doing a ritual that I want to represent wind. And I'm trying to, and I'm thinking, well, we could use breath, or we could use song, or we could use bell. And I'm trying to conceive of this ritual. And I walk outside with a friend, and there is an immense windstorm that's blowing over trees. And, you know, and we sort of begin, you know, running to get away from the windstorm. So, you know, there's a sense of, you know, what humans invoke as the, powers, you know, the great powers, and then the actual great powers, right? And then when they show up, you know, that's a whole other matter. Mm. So sometimes we get an inkling of those elemental forces in our dreams, and they can really be allies to us. They can be healers for us, or they can show us where to go next, and and they can really connect us, you know, to the universe. Um, a friend of mine who lives in Germany once dreamt of this immense tree uh, that she could go inside and, you know, its branches reached, you know, all over the cosmos. Uh, and the tree had a heart, you know, had a living heart that beat. Mm. You know, an image like that is, like, that for me is an elemental image. Like, that's, you know, the, you know, the life that extends beyond, you know, what we call consciousness, you know, into the consciousness of the cosmos. And, you know, those characters, like the dragon in my dream, you know, that's an elemental being. Mm-hmm. You know, I would call a being. You know, if I was sorting them by element, I would say that's, a, you know, that the dragon is a fire being and the bear is more of an earth being. Mm-hmm. Right? But it don't really matter. You know, what, what matters is the, you know, is the power of meeting the, mm-hmm. you know, the life of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. So what I'm understanding you say is, you know, while there are, many things happening in our dreams that may have different vibrations, if you will, that right. these el- like these elements are really like a grounding, can ground us into and connect us into that larger whole. Um, right. And you can always tell what the elemental beings are because there are always more, there's always more of them, right? They're always more vibrant, like more powerful, right, than the rest of the dream, like mm. colors that are very, very bright. Um, someone shared a dream with me once in which he's on a bus, and the bus is going through, you know, ugly neighborhoods, and it's not very interesting. And then eventually the bus goes into the countryside, and all of a sudden the bus is going underground, like in a tunnel, and then everyone on the bus begins singing. 
And, you know, and there's this amazing vibration that's coming from the song that everyone is singing. And so for me, that's like a dream where the dreamer is transitioning from the mundane world right, into the elemental world, you know, where, like, everything is in vibration with the earth, right? And the dream is literally going under the earth. And then, mm. we all, and then the people are adding their song, right, that there's this song that has this powerful vibration. Um, and the dreamer said to me, you know, I wish I had joined in the song. And I said, well, you still can. And so the way that we work with the dream is to say, you know, here's a dream that's inviting you to add your song. Hmm. How hmm. will you do that? Wow. Wow. Um. So the elemental moments in the dream can really direct us to the places in our lives that are the most vibrant. Yes. So when somebody thinks about water, I don't only interpret it, I also say, why don't you go swimming? <laughs> like, why don't you go connect with your water? Because that's what your dream is inviting you to do. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, in, along the lines of healing, as we were talking earlier, you, you shared um, a dream that that sort of had a beginning and a completion, that healing, where um, a lantern you know, before you entered rabbinic school, there was this unlit lantern that was part of your dream and you weren't sure what to do with it. And then later on, you had a dream of groups of women carrying lit lanterns, if I'm getting that correctly. And that it feels like, you know, so the the element fire clearly was, was, was the element of that dream. And it um, seemed to speak of um, a a huge piece of your work in, 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 uh, you know, in uh, really activating feminine spiritual leadership and your journey in doing that. Mm. Yeah, that dream is actually even better because the uh, the being that gives me the lantern is um, goddess, basically. Um, God mm. shows me the dream uh, as an enormous glowing pregnant woman. Um, and uh, it's very funny because the setting of the dream was a bar. Like, I'm in a bar, and, you know, everyone's waiting for the honored guest at the party, and God walks in, you know, as this immense pregnant woman. Um, and then that's when I received the gift of the lantern. Um, and the next day, I actually called for an application to rabbinical school. Like, oh. that, that dream made it very clear to me that I had to do something to uh, begin to fulfill the promise of the dream. Yes. Years later, Years later, I had the... It was a bracket dream of the of the, the women with the lanterns uh, after the priestess program was already happening. It's so beautiful, and I you know I um I guess a little over a year ago when I um, before I was just starting this podcast um, I I put myself in a guided journey and again like along the elements it's it's making me a little more clear um, of connecting to the element of of, of air in that. Um, I took a, I took a very, you know, I want, I went up into the clouds and was star jumping essentially and entered Mm -hmm. this, this purple space, which, um, for me, purple is, is my spirit guide. It just, it's, that's just where she is in that Mm -hmm. vibrational color. And it said, you know, similar to that voice I was sharing earlier about, you know, sit in Kislev, it, it shared the, uh, the voice shared, um, it said to me, you are a keeper of voices. Mm. And, and so, and it, it felt, you know, 
in this formative time of starting a podcast, I'm holding sacred space for a conversation. You know, the, the air element, actually, which I, I don't actually naturally connect to. <laughs> Just you hearing you about the fire, hearing your story, you know, about the fire. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should, you know, placing maybe a little more attention on the air element could um, maybe support, <laughs> you know, and um, support this process of holding conversation with women, with females. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that as an insight. And it, it relates, um, you know, I also am, I gravitate much more toward water and earth elements, like fire isn't my sort of mm. my ghost element, mm. but it does, does seem to be when I do work for the world, you know, fire does seem to come out. So sometimes it's, it's the one that you haven't been paying attention to, yeah. you know, that's about to be the, the crucial one. Yes, yes. Jill, so I, love that. I want to support you in, in, honoring and and awakening your inner air element thank you yes uh i too am very water and earth and so i i it's it's very it feels like a spark just talking about placing attention on on elements that you that somehow i feel like we have you know inner blocks right that you know might think oh no you don't need that <laughs> you know so um and and again dream states can sort of take us into those those places where there are no those barriers of our you know ego if you will you know um they don't we don't have those barriers as, as much um in in this season of coldness of darkness earth is sleeping trees are barren the northern hemisphere it's dark are there any practices that you personally like to engage in um to support dream work mm. yes the first thing i would say is you know always have a vehicle for recording the dream afterward because for most people the memory of a dream will will delete very soon after you wake up. So it's kind of important to be prepared and know, you know, if you have a dream, you know, how you're going to write it down or, or record it or whatever, you know, whatever it is. The second thing is it's very helpful, though not always possible, to allow yourself to wake up naturally. I, I, I can't do it. I mean, I you know, I have a kid, I have to wake up at 6 a.m. But if you can, I find that it does help one to remember. Hmm. The other, I've also recently heard the advice uh, that it's good not to move too much when you wake up, like to actually kind of go back into the position you were in when you were sleeping, hmm. uh, that that will also help you to retain hmm. the memory. Mm -hmm. And um, there are various kinds of sort of gentle herbal ways to help dreaming. Hmm. Uh, lavender is one that... You know, works for me. Uh, Lavender is really gentle. Mugwort is a little stronger. People should check into it before using it, but uh, it is something that works for people also with dreaming. And the other thing I would say, and this comes straight from Jewish tradition, is that there is this tradition of the se'elat chalom, the, the dream incubation or the dream question, uh, that you can go to sleep at night with the intention of having a dream, either just any significant dream or having a dream about a particular issue that you're dealing with. Um, and for some people, that can be a really productive practice uh, that leads to important insights at night. And then whatever dream you have, you know, that becomes an answer to your question. Mm. Beautiful. So so those are some practices that I use 
Uh, and people also have to figure out what works for them. You know, dreaming is a biological phenomenon, and that means it's, and it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one has to figure out, you know, how, how you dream, sort of when is the best time to catch a dream. Mm. Are there um, any ritual objects that you personally use? Well, you mentioned you have a stone. Yeah. Yeah, I have a, I have a dream stone um, that I bought in a rock shop. I bought a bunch of them, and I shared them with my dream circle at that time. Uh, I had a very, very beautiful uh, dream circle a number of years ago uh, when we met periodically, and, and we all had these beautiful green, like green stones. Um, the only other ritual object I really associate with dream work um, is my journal. I have a I have a beautiful special dream journal, and mm-hmm. uh, Robertson Eve Ilson does actually recommend having a beautiful dream journal. That your 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 innate desire to write in the beautiful dream journal will will cause you to remember your dreams. <laughs> mm, I love it. Um, in closing, would would you mind sharing? I first, I just want to express such immense gratitude for your your conversation today and and your leadership. And um, both you and Taya have just woven together and are continuing to create something that you know it feels like you know it just feels like it's it's something growing that's going that's creating such. Oh, I don't even know. Power is not the right word. There's just this momentum for evolving the the um, feminine spirituality as a model for leadership. And I just want to thank you for being an inspiration. Thank you very much. There was, in line with the link to our lineage, um, to the feminine lineage, um, there was a dream you shared, I think it was in Sisters at Sinai, about a missing Hebrew letter. Mm. Yes, um, that was an amazing dream. Uh, I dreamt that I was giving a lecture, which is something I do in waking life, you know, and I dreamt that I was giving a lecture and that I was lecturing about um, a Hebrew letter that was missing from the Bible. And that if, you know, you were to put the letter back in, you know, the the whole meaning of the text would change, you know, that there would be something new there. And in the dream, I said I was going to name myself after this letter. And when I woke up, you know, I I ran to Google to find out if it was true that there was a missing Hebrew letter. And there are several traditions about this. There is actually a missing Hebrew letter in the Bible. Uh, there is a letter that was called the, the Gaian that was incorporated into a different letter, um, and therefore um, some of the words in the Bible sort of have this missing letter, but you can't really tell because the letter has been converted to, to one of the other Hebrew letters. Uh, so that was very exciting uh, to find that out. You know, and there's also this tradition of the four-branched chin uh, that's kind of a mystical, mythical letter that doesn't really exist, uh, mm-hmm. but that actually appears on the tefillin, uh, which are Jewish uh, prayer objects that are worn in the morning. Uh, so there is this whole kind of tantalizing tradition around the missing letter. But for me, what it meant uh, was that you know, there is something missing from the text. You know, there's always something missing from the text. And you know, in particular, 
you know, the traditions of, of women have been left out of the text. And so the dream of the missing letter for me became a reminder uh, that we in this generation can have a role in replacing in the letters that, putting in the, new, the letters that represent our own experience, you know, and our own prophecy. And that, that does change the, you know, the, the, the totality of the tradition. Hmm. So I think a, it's a powerful image, the missing letter. A powerful image and uh, a powerful dream. And now for some sweet notes. Sweet note one. Dreams connect us to wholeness. The dream Jill shared of flying on the back of a dragon into this low building that went down into the earth and opened up into a vast cavernous space filled with a lush multicolored garden. This connection to the vastness is something we can feel into in a dream. Whereas in our waking days, where we move from A to B to get done what needs to get done and to take care of those that we need to take care of to no fault of our own and really as part of survival, we segment ourselves or even separate ourselves from this oneness. Dreams are a space to reclaim this oneness and this vast connection or this connection to vastness or the cosmos. And in dreams, part of touching into this oneness is anchoring ourselves with images of the elements and of those um, elemental or foundational images that may appear or um, appear as strong images in dreams. So the elements themselves could be fire, water, air, or earth, or the elements can be an animal, like a bear, a salmon, or a dragon. It's those foundational images that can take us into that grandiosity, just like that dragon in Jill's dreams, flying into this wondrous cave where colorful flora filled in the spaces with wonder. And dreams connect us to wholeness by bringing us into some sort of resolution. It may take dreaming a certain scenario over time. And over time, these recurring situations like how Jill described um, dreaming uh, a snake, uh, these scary images sometimes that, that could be scary can be approached head on and going into them can result in this resolution where the dream then no longer appears. I also enjoyed talking with Jill about this unlit lantern that was part of a dream that led Jill to apply to rabbinical school where fire was an elemental representation of the manifestation of her life's work. And then years later, after putting much of, a lot of her work into the world, that dream or that image of the lantern reappeared where groups of women held lit lanterns, bringing uh, a type of resolution and fulfillment. Sweet note two, dream work has deep roots in Jewish tradition. Biblical stories, especially ones that fall this time of year, are filled with dreams. 
Talmudic commentary heavenly focuses on dream interpretation and the Jewish mystics in 17th century spot regularly practiced dream interpretation. There's a strong lineage of women as interpreters of dreams. And as Jill shared, dreams were a through line to spiritual practice for women who were marginalized at that time. Jill traces through the records that could be found of women as dreamers. And she's written some online articles about this. I encourage uh, exploring those further. I, I'll post those on my website. And uh, two of them are called Entering the Cave, Women and the Art of Feminist Dreaming. And part two of that is Stealing the Yarn, Jewish Women and the Art of Feminist Dreaming. So I'll post links to those. Sweet note three. Dream sharing brings communal healing. Dream circles, where the dreamer shares, the group listens, and a multitude of perspectives and insights emerge is a practice emboldening all of those who participate. I had not met Jill in person before, and yet through a phone conversation and in dream sharing, really felt like we dwelled in a place of deep connection by sharing our dreams. Listening to dreams requires empathy, compassion, and holding someone else's stories while honoring our own unique perspective and, and sharing our perspective based on who we are. Sweet note four, bringing the creativity and imagination of dream interpretation into reading sacred texts opens up the story and, and weaves us into the story. The story comes alive. And I really love how Jill described how for her writing Midrash is like dreaming into a text. I also really appreciated a piece of the Talmud she shared that encouraged upon waking to reflect in bed what your dreams were and then to visualize where might these dreams be found in sacred text. And afterwards, I had a wild take on Joseph's multicolored coat, and it goes something like this. I imagined a large group of women living in Joseph's time, sitting around a fire in a large circle together, sharing one another's dreams while passing around brilliant colored squares of cloth and sewing them together into a large multicolored coat. And I imagined each color representing each dream and the collective spirit of the women who dreamed imbuing the coat with the powers of dreamers. And while there's really like no scholarly basis for this little fantasy of mine, I really enjoyed the practice of opening up the story and, and having the spiritual imagination and bringing that spirit of spiritual imagination to it. And so here is wishing you all a season that is filled with luscious, luscious dreams. I'd like to thank Rabbi Jill Hammer for her conversation. If you would like to connect to more of Jill's work, you can visit jillhammer.com or you can find out more about the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute at kohenet.com. Or you can go on redlentilconsulting.com. I posted a few of Jill's online articles. And I'd also like to thank Ethan Bayless, who is my partner, 
composer, co-producer, and sound engineer. Wishing you a wonderful season and a time to dream. I'm Jody Bayless, and this is Purple Honey.